Hey, Justin. Hey, Cameron. How's it going? Going great. How about you? Good. You covered the label with your hand, but I know that's a root beer. Yes, it is. It is a dad's root beer. Delicious. I'm, I'm surprised you're even able to find a dad's root beer. I haven't seen a dad's root beer in any grocery store in years. When was the last time you were in a grocery store? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> Wait, didn't you go to like the Piggly Wiggly once? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I... So, in these unprecedented times... Oh, God, it's another friggin' ad. <laughs> yeah, we've got to be there for each other and blah, 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 blah. All the other, um, you know... Lisa's starting up one a month. <laughs> God... During these unprecedented times, we are here for you to get a Lexus. <laughs> yeah. Steph sent me a meme. It was like a Mazda commercial, and then it's, uh, you know, Mazda's logo over Michael Scott. It says, good luck paying for this on your zero-month salary, babe. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> With zero benefits. Uh, um, but hey, at least yeah. we have stuff to talk about now. We definitely do. Um, we haven't really sat down and had any hockey conversations since before all of this. It's been months. Wow, you are truly a southerner now because you won't even say it by its name. You just say all of this, or you can say all that shit that's going on, or all that stuff going on. Yeah. <laughs> COVID nineteen. Well, I don't want to get too in-depth into the actual situation going on because we're not trying to be political on this podcast. No, no, no we're not. We're trying to be hostile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a very polarizing issue for some reason. For some reason it is, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm just going to take a sip of root beer. Yeah. Uh, all right. <clears throat> um, so... I mean, just the, like we kind of talked about it, but the whole thing is weird going from seeing each other at least once a week at hockey um, to never. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, we play we play Sea of Thieves together. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny to me that you went from like not even knowing what Sea of Thieves was to now you're like the expert and you play like at least once every two or three days. I am nowhere near an expert. I just have fun with my friends. I do. <laughs> but I've gotten a lot better at shooting cannonballs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and running us into islands. Yeah. I am still horrible at fighting other pirates. Me like, too, man, yeah. that's where we got to learn to hop. Yeah. That's the thing. Jumping and shooting or jumping and swiping. Yeah, I can't do that. <clears throat> It's a lot. It's a lot of coordination. Yeah. But big news, big news. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. NHL return to play that that old thing. Yeah. So you got to spend a good chunk of time watching the press conference initially, and then I think you said you were on the Zoom call with Gary Bettman, right? Yeah. So I mean, everyone had access to watching uh, Gary Bettman give a press conference, basically just highlighting everything the NHL return to play. Uh, everything's an, a, an if right now. That's why there's, it's not, it's officially the plan, but it's not official that they're starting because it's, you got to wait to wait and see. But basically the NHLPA, we heard last week that they approved uh, the 2014 format. Two teams voted against it, Tampa and Carolina, I believe are the two teams. Yeah. Two um, teams well within the playoffs as well, which yeah, I found interesting. Yeah. They just, they didn't, 
they didn't like the way the direction was going. And I totally understand. I see a lot of people making fun of them, but it's like, that's why they have a vote to state their case. And I can guarantee you that it wouldn't be unanimous that every player on these teams that voted yes felt the same, same as it's not unanimous that every player vote would vote no on Carolina and Tampa. That's, but that's why they have these, the players union so they can do a vote on that. And I'm actually, if anything, kind of glad it wasn't unanimous because it shows that there are, that they do have power in the vote, that they can question things, that they can go back and make sure this is what they feel is the best option to return to play. Uh, granted, we knew they were going to push as much as possible to return to play no matter what. But, but I do feel like that it's good that they are able to push that out there and say that they didn't agree with it. Now, anyways, Bettman uh, did explain the whole 2014 format, the hub city, what they're planning to do there. And then later on, an hour later, they did have a Zoom call with him and Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly, where they answered a lot of questions from the media, uh, from Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, to The Athletic. Uh, so lots of there's some big time journalists on this Zoom call asking a lot of questions. And I know we'll do a full rundown there, but they talk about everything from daily testing to some costs to broadcast uh, to when the the, se- the next season potentially would start and what the plan is for that. Uh, so th- they covered a wide variety of topics that we've all kind of been waiting two and a half months <laughs> on to, to get some news because nothing's been concrete. It's always been rumors. Rumors yeah. here, rumors there. I heard this or I heard that. We finally got some news. No dates set really uh, firmly, but the assumption is that training camps would start no earlier than July 1st. July 1st is that, I guess that marked date is what they're looking at for at least training camps potentially start. So this would be a good time for me just to kind of shoehorn in my opinion on all of this, my hot takes, if you will. Um, Why would they continue to push for this season when it's definitely going to be a detriment to next season? They were talking about pushing it back as far as to end of July like, you're going to have injured players without the ability to rehab. You're going to force them into situations where they're not properly prepared to play. You're putting health at risk for a multitude of reasons. Whether you believe this is as bad as people say or not, it's definitely a health risk. They're not going to have a full proper training camp after taking multiple months off, which is a health risk. <clears throat> and the mental health aspects of it included where you're separating them from a lot of people and putting them under even further lockdowns and quarantines. If, um, you know, travel between the U S and Canada is in place. Like all of this is going to have a very negative impact on next season. Whereas you could just say enough's enough for this year. We're just going to go into next year and proceed as scheduled for next season. You know, why drag it out longer than you need to? Well, here, here's one thing to throw in as well. We've mentioned the players a lot, but so there's going to be a max of 50 staff per team allowed, okay? Well, okay. you're not going to have all of those be players. You have to have some staff. And people will say, well, they're getting paid millions of dollars and blah, 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 blah. Whatever. It's their job. They didn't, they didn't sign up. That's 600 people. Right. So That's 600 the- people per hub. Per hub. So take, let's take the players even out of the situation, but you're also going to be removing staff members from their families for a potential of a couple months as well and putting them into situations too. You can't make that argument that they're multi-million dollar athletes or staff members or people in broadcast that are camera operators or things like that. 
And I'm not saying that I hate it. I, I want hockey to return when it's safe and they f- deem that it is safe. And that's why I'm glad that they're putting the, the if thing on this, putting a stipulation of if, and not setting a hard date. Because, it, and I know Bettman is really good about addressing the media. He's really good with making sure he's saying the, the proper thing. He's very well very, trained in that. Very calculated. Um, very calculated. And, that's, and if anything, that's a good thing because you don't want words to be misconstrued, especially when you're dealing with something like this. So I like the if part of this because things can change. They even said that things can change. If something changes, you know, this is just the format we've decided on, but that's why we're not setting a hard date because we don't know. This is just a yeah. format that we've approved on. It could be July. It could be August <laughs> before things get going. Well, that was one thing I liked in the press conference. Um, at one point, Gary Bettman says, like, I know as confusing as this may be, like, he called it out, like, the playoff format, the draft, like, it's getting very convoluted and very weird. And which That's is weird. Yeah, which is fine, but at the end of the day, you're just forcing this thing through. This just feels so forced. Like, you're just cramming this in because you can, and, you know, you want that money. Well, I think I think there's a lot of it aside from the money as well. So money obviously is big for, for a lot of these leagues because that's, I mean, how they survive and the NHL can survive with TV contracts and merch purchases, things like that. Minor leagues can't. We all know that, uh, especially you. I know you're a big fan of baseball. Look how hard mm-hmm. the minor leagues are getting hit there because it's all fan-driven in terms of butts and seats. Yeah. I mean, NHL AHL also. AHL. Anything that is below the pro level, the, the, yeah. the top pro level, is going to be hurting. They can't just come back and put out fans in the stands because they're not going to have money supporting it. College hockey. College hockey. All these things, you know, fan-driven to be, have fans come in. Now, college hockey, you have plenty of supporters, boosters, things like that. That, that helps right there. Uh, but in terms of the pro side of things, at least they can survive there. Plus, I think there's pressure from ownership because of money. So it's not like it's coming just from the top. It's pressure from the Board of Governors. It's pressure probably from TV networks. Uh, and then there's also the pressure, too, of, hey, you know, yeah, NASCAR's come back. And look at a lot of people on Twitter that are just like, you know what, I'll watch NASCAR, sure. <laughs> because it's yeah. a sport that is something that's not a rerun or a replay or something that's on. But the NHL, if it's one of the, the you know, the, the big ones, when you group it with MLB, NBA, NFL, even MLS now, and then NHL, the big five of the live sport, team sports, go with team sports. And I think they see it as an opportunity and want to take advantage of that because if they're the first ones to have a full comeback plan, aside from the NBA or even the MLB, then that puts them – right in the center of things, right? Right in the center of the sports world, sports talk, things like that. And for reasons that is like, Hey, we're going to get coverage and people are going to be forced to talk about us because we're the only thing going (laughs) right now. And so I think there's a lot of things driving that. And then there's the whole thing that they want to do once they get to phase four, which is when they can play, which is testing every night, every player, every night, that's going to get very expensive. And a lot of money is going into that. And people start asking the question too of, well, what about other people in the in just in saying the U.S. that could be utilizing those tests? Yeah, so, and, so many questions around it. You know, how long before the players get fed up with having a giant rod stuffed up their nose? <clears throat> like, not for nothing, but hockey players are very fickle, and I mean, you know, I mean, there might be some some minor league players that might have to create an OnlyFans with a giant rod stuck up their nose. 
<laughs> they gotta make money somehow. There's got to be a buyer out there somewhere for that type of video. Oh gosh. Speaking of minor league, though, that is one of the things as well that, in terms of rosters, they expect the rosters to be obviously expanded to allow for black aces to come up. So that bodes well for some of these guys in Milwaukee that potentially could be used. And you're thinking of guys like Ellie Tolvanen, Rem Pitlick, um, Alex Carrier, Frederick Allard, even Connor Ingram. I mean, getting good's a good experience for him too. So. There's a lot of question marks still. This was, if anything, it, it at least hashed out what the plan is that we've been waiting on for weeks of what the plan is, and that this is the approved plan going forward and what they're going to do whenever they can actually do it. Well, that's the other thing about this. This isn't even the plan. This is the plan to form a plan. It sounds, it sounds, <laughs> this sounds very Spaceballs. <laughs> We're going to start selling merch for the plan, right? <laughs> basically yeah um the 2014 playoff the shirt yeah now i the one thing about this i do like is the uh frequency at which games are going to have to come because they're going to be (laughs) playing there's like 12 p.m until midnight there's going to be hockey on which will be fun during the work day i'll watch the crap out of it but how long like if a water boy gets sick. Like one water boy is not going to be the only one to get sick. Bobby Boucher gets sick and he gives it to, you know, whoever. <clears throat> it's only a matter of time until this thing gets shut down anyway. Which That's because COVID-19 has to be other. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, and, no. Mike, yeah. and Mike Milbury. You think uh, Bobby Boucher's mom's a fan of Mike Milbury? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if you saw my tweet, but the first thing I did was block Mike Billberry on Twitter because he is on Twitter now. Oh man, I should tweet him the elevator story and see if he remembers. <laughs> you should. <laughs> uh, but but with that, it that's why it's going to be unique and interesting because they even said Bill Daly said that they're in touch with you know all of their medical experts and everything of that sort. So if one player gets it. You're saying that should not be caused to shut down everything. And, but it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> because if one player gets it, how long has he had it? Was he asymptomatic, started showing symptoms, things like that. The players, I think, is going to be that, that part where if a player gets it, they're probably going to look at pausing it, if anything, for a few days, retest, wait for a few days, reinstate, if anything, if everything comes out negative. But staff <laughs> – that's where I think it's one of those things where they could probably go on more so if it's a staff that is more distant. Like if it's, say, for instance, somebody that's running a camera. They're far away from the rink. They're not yeah. in touch with a lot of people. I think that's where the instance is. They should, they'll, they'll probably look at, you know, it's isolated. We're going to obviously make sure this incident is here. Anybody has been in contact with them, we'll isolate them and bring in backups to operate these things. Stuff like that will come into place. Um, I- yeah. I like the idea that Greg Wyshynski talked about where, because there won't be fans there, have an app where you could select <laughs> to cheer or select to jeer. So the, instead of having it like fake piped in uh, crowd noise, like, you know, I'm a Pred season ticket holder. Give me access to the ability to cheer or boo or whatever for the games my team is involved in. Well, and it is interesting. I'm curious what's going to happen in the game up side of it in terms of in- in-game entertainment. Players are obviously used to now having music played. 
They're used to things taking place during puck stoppages, during TV timeouts, all these types of things. And they did address a little bit of the broadcast. They want to make it very interactive. They don't just want to make it plain broadcast of empty arenas, but they do want to, you know, think of different ways to entertain the people watching on TV to make it a little more interesting. Kind of like what NASCAR has done with having the drone. So you don't have to worry about it crashing into people in the stands. They've been kind of using this drone cam, which has been really pretty cool. It's doing barrel rolls like Star Fox uh, out there. <laughs> <laughs> but so I think they'll find different ways to make that a little interactive. And it, for instance, too, like goal horns. It's this neutral site. Are they going to play a goal horn for whichever team scores because you're used to it? What, what are they going to do there? And plus a lot of these arenas, they have their goal horn, which is actually an actual horn that is there, so they're going to have to run it through the system, the, the audio system, and not the actual horn, um, because yeah. they're also looking at those things, too. And that's something that I think is really important that Matt Duchesne talked about on Hockey Central when he talked about, you know, so much throughout the history of the NHL, home advantage, home ice advantage meant something. Right. And no matter what they do to compensate, it's not going to matter as much this season. And that's – it's just not the same – you're like I said, you're forcing this when you have a complete inability to make this normal again. And well, so I'll spin this as me playing a plain devil's advocate. Sure. They there's even talk of like, hey, well, maybe this makes them reevaluate the calendar for the NHL and for the league. Uh, because the talk is that hey, maybe not start until November, December, January. Can you imagine the league without a lockout playing a full calendar starting in January with how compressed it already gets before. Now, granted, somebody threw out, well, maybe just less games. Like, no, they want to play the full season starting potentially November, December, January. Now, November, they could pull it off because they compress a lot of things anyways because you just threw it a all-star break by a week, things like that. Um, you shorten the Christmas holiday for them, which is one of the things that makes the league really unique and I like. These players can actually spend time with family over the holiday, which is great. But that's what there's talk about. So the whole thing I even tweeted out because they mentioned it was, can you imagine like with college football having big games to kick off the season, NASCAR having Daytona 500 is, you know, what if you do kick off the season with the freaking winter classic? Yeah. Make it like the Daytona 500. It's the biggest race of the year. Cause it's the first one. Exactly. So there's potential with that. And then what does it mean? Do they have reevaluate and go, you know, maybe we should start the season in November or December or something like that, or even January, and shift it towards playing into the summer. Now, that would cause a lot of problems when you think of some of these rinks, like Dallas, like Nashville, like uh, Carolina, like Tampa, Florida, <laughs> to where it's really hot and humid in these areas. Vegas should be fine. You can even deal with the hot. It's the humidity that's killer for a lot of these sheets of ice. So there's also that question as well, because that means upgrades to arenas would have to happen big time to have that ice played on that much more throughout July and August, which is also going to be a factor, I'm sure, in determining the return to play that Dallas, for instance, yes, they have lots of ice around there too, but can you imagine all these teams are going to be needing ice for practice purposes, for the games and things like that too. And as well, they say hub cities. Is it a hub arena? Are there going to be multiple places where they might be playing? So for instance, Vegas, they're going to have their AHL team coming there, right? Would they be playing in the arena in Henderson as well as Vegas? Is it just the main NHL arena on the strip? Those are some of these questions as well, because there's probably some of these teams that have other rinks that are decently sized where they could have broadcast crews set up that they could play these games. You don't necessarily have to be in an NHL arena, I don't think, to be able to pull these games off. You just have to have the right locker room space that's safe 
and things like that. Now, granted, the big thing that's important before anybody goes off is that a lot of these big arenas do have multiple locker rooms. Just like if you've been in the bottom of Bridgestone Arena, you have multiple guest locker rooms that I know we've been in for playing hockey there because they don't let you dress in the Fred's room. <laughs> but you do sometimes get in the visitor locker room. So it is interesting, too. It'll be depending on so many different factors as well. And then they're saying the hub city, what they're hoping to announce is in three to four weeks. Yeah, um, I did fact check myself because I'm not a NASCAR fan. The Daytona 500 is the first race of the NASCAR yeah. season. I am oh, yeah. Oh, I, you, could, <laughs> you could have asked me that. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to be sure. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and that's what makes that's what makes it fun and exhilarating because <clears> they, <throat> they ad, start advertising it after the last race ends, which is, I think, usually Homestead in November. It's like, get ready for the Daytona 500 coming in February. <laughs> um. Just to circle back to what you were talking about before I circled back to something else. Um, <clears throat> like, there's a lot of talk about which city is going to be the hub and all of that. And, like, I don't see how a team benefits from being the hub or how a fan base benefits. So I, I don't really see why you'd want to be that team other than, like, perhaps there's some sort of, like, you know, you, you get some sort of like fee or something like that. So it's not host t- a hub team, it's hub city. Yeah. The reason I switched that up to make sure is that that was addressed by Bettman and Daly as well as that there's even talk of flipping it to where, for instance, if you have a West and an East, then you'd have the East playing the West, and the West playing the East potentially. Wow. So there aren't any of those issues of potentially home ice advantages or whatnot but the thing that they stressed as well is that if there is a team that is also located in the hub cities for instance vegas and if the west is playing there and it is vegas that that team would be isolated just like every other team they wouldn't be able to go home yeah um and that's where i think the 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 consensus panic not not panic but just cause for concern was is that will would they be able to go back to the homes no they're all going to have to stay in hotels that are yeah. isolated from their families, no matter what. So that's why it almost kind of makes sense is, you know what? So they really feel like they are on a road trip, go fly them cross country. So they're not like my family's two miles away. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, like I saw like fans on Twitter, like cheerleading for their city to be the hub city. And I, I think that's more of what I'm speaking to. Like, how do you benefit? Because it's not like they're going to let anyone in the door. Local economy more than anything else. See, but think. like how much does it contribute to the economy when there's no fans? Like, sure, the TV dollars and stuff are there. And you're well, getting like... Hotels and food. Yeah. That's but, about it because there's going to be big time catering probably having to be done. And yeah. hotel rooms be getting filled. And you know those hotels are going to want it. That's where the, uh, probably a bidding more with some of these hotels. Yeah, expect. I mean, for instance, I'm not saying I'm pushing for Vegas. Vegas to me just makes sense because of the hotel industry, because of how big those hotels are that you can lock wings off (laughs) to people have access because there are so many of these hotels that are connected to that you could basically make it a hub because boom, right there, you have it all right here. It's locked off to the outside and it's ready to go. And plus, if anything, too, who knows? I'm sure this has been thought of. The MGM has a freaking arena inside of the hotel where they host fights all the time. They could build a rink inside of that if they really wanted to. That is fully catered to what they need. And then you don't have empty stands everywhere. 
either. It's more like the Winter Classic where the rink is out in the middle of a field and you can fully pull off a broadcast and do what you want to, where it's like black curtains everywhere if you really wanted to. But, but that's yeah. so many of those are, hotels in Vegas do have arenas inside of them that they can absolutely build an NHL-sized rink. Uh, and you have plenty of space as well for the conventions that you could have locker rooms set up if you really wanted to. I mean, there's so many ways to look at this, and I'm sure they absolutely are. This is all me just kind of spouting out my ideas that I've had crunched into my head for weeks now that I haven't been able to get out unless it's, you know, playing Sea of Thieves with you or a random person that might text me and go, what do you think about this? Uh, but <laughs> that's, that, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also interesting, like, what are they going to put at center ice? Is it just going to be the NHL logo? Like – are they going to do anything to cover up like the empty seats? Oh, you know they've got to come up with a with a a logo for this thing because it'll be so unique. Yeah, just the, maybe just put the Stanley Cup in the middle. Th- that'd be kind of cool with a year. Yeah, <laughs> and an asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> twenty twenty. Boom. <laughs> I so just as a sports fan in general, I think the biggest loss across sports that we still don't have is that first game where the Houston Astros just get decimated by the fans in the crowd. Which they was caused this whole thing to happen. <laughs> so the Houston Astros are cheaters. <clears throat> mega cheaters. Uh, mega cheaters. Their first away game well their first game was going to be in Oakland, California and like <laughs> That's the rowdiest fan base in baseball. I was looking forward to it so much, and I'm sure I'm going to get it someday. If there's any justice, the first game will be in Oakland, um, just because it's what was planned. Um, I I just need to hear what that sounds like. Well, I mean, how, look what they look what they were dealing with during spring training. Yeah, people were having well, to get removed with signs. Yeah, they were stealing signs from fans now. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the other thing that we're lo- missing out on, um, and it's another thing that can be rectified in some ways, but um, Shea Weber's 1,000th game, which was scheduled to take place in Nashville. In Nashville. In Nashville. Like, in you can't. Nashville. See, now it's going to suck because, like, they're going to plan it that way on purpose. But, like, it just lined up perfectly. Especially, yeah, especially because the regular season's over, so the games won't count. Yeah. So you just have to play a next year's schedule to include that. I wonder if the, I wonder if the NHL would play ball with that, but, like, it would have been a special moment. Uh, if it, in terms of if you're doing it for ratings, they never admit it. <laughs> well, yeah, you would absolutely do it because you're gonna have people watching all over the place just because yeah. you're gonna have so much media too. That there's gonna be so much around it now. Weber would probably be like, please don't, please don't, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's a story and it's a fun story as well yeah. because there's still so many people that do the whole what if situation and scenarios and it's multiple what ifs the what if they didn't match the offer sheet the what if they didn't trade him away the what if he didn't go and get surgery <laughs> no <laughs> kind of thing so there, there's always what ifs but i think it makes for a really interesting and fun storyline and i'd absolutely hope that it still happens like that yeah like they'll plan it that way again and then i'll get injured or some crap please don't <laughs> <laughs> no but uh, then they'll be second wave <laughs> yeah 
and we got to laugh about it. I'm, a, I'm about to be unemployed in about six weeks, so I got to laugh about it somehow. You'll be fine. You'll, you'll land on your feet. As long as I land on a foot, I'll be happy. Yeah. <laughs> it's give me so much worse. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but so let me, let, me, let me ask this now, because we know the matchups, what they're set to be. Yeah. Arizona being a very interesting, that makes most Preds fans quiver due to history mm-hmm. and due to how Arizona tends to play the Predators. So the real question I have is if the Preds lose, what are their um, lottery odds? <laughs> um, gosh, I, I have not studied it enough yet. <laughs> yeah. Like we're recording this the night of, so like, that's fine. Like it's, but honestly, like, I don't think this is their year, even with a rest and a restart. But I, it's, it's I like so this. hard. It's so hard to tell that, though, man. It really is, it's but amazing. because on paper we all knew this team should be more competitive than they are on paper. Yeah. Well, the teams that do really well in this league are the teams that take advantage of not only having good contracts for their veteran players, but also having younger players on entry level deals. And we don't really have that at the moment. We don't have the space for it. So I don't hate the idea of missing and having some people forced to be sent away, maybe get some younger guys in here, because that seems to be what you need to do to be competitive in this league. I mean, unless they make a Western Conference championship appearance, I still think there are changes that will be made. That's the other factor in all of this is we don't really have the full scope of everything with, you know, how many firings that would have taken place haven't, how many trades that would have taken place won't. Um, You know, there's a whole big butterfly effect in this whole thing where because there was this separation period, it's real easy to forget about how bad certain teams were during the regular season and those underlying problems that were there where they barely squeaked into the playoffs. You know, it's going to be an interesting thing now. How do you gauge that? How do you make those decisions? And it's going to be interesting too when you look at the the round-robin games, the top four in each conference will play. Can you imagine the number four getting the top seed because they go 3-0? and yeah, you know, if if that happens, and then what what happens if you do have the lowest seed beating out the number five, or you do have Arizona beating out Nashville uh, for the spot in the number six kind of thing? So there's all those different what ifs because Arizona's another team too. On paper, when you see the talent they have, they absolutely should have been a playoff team. Yeah, I mean Taylor Hall, Phil Kessel. Mm-hmm. Hello, <laughs> you should be at least competitive enough to be in the playoff hunt uh, for, and, and so they're very dangerous already as a team. I mean, Oliver Ackman Larson, very good player. So that's what I'm curious, and that's why, gosh, was a friend that said, I'm just going to call this the 2020 Stanley Cup shit show <laughs> because it's, it's going to be entertaining no matter what, no matter what we feel about them coming back. The, the fact of the matter is we're going to watch it and it is going to be interesting because parts of it are going to have very shit show feel esque to it. Yeah. Um, which so, could... so if they're talking about restarting the 2020 season in January, how long of an off season would we have in there? Like when does, when does this Stanley cup playoff end? Bettman said that the goal would be to have at least a couple months off. 
okay. at the end. So I think what they would be looking at is the Stanley Cup final potentially taking place in September. <laughs> um, and, and the reason why I say that is because you're going to have a training camp and they're going to want a training camp to be probably two to three weeks, especially because probably 80, 90% of the players have not even been able to skate much, if at all, on ice for months straight. Whereas in the regular off season, at least can get on the ice when they want to and plus do their off ice workouts here. That's all they've been regarded to is only off ice, especially a lot of these guys live in cities where, you know, they don't maybe have their own little practice sheet or know somebody that has one or something like that. They just haven't been able to skate. So for safety purposes, for health purposes, they need to have a long training camp to get back into it. Plus you're going to have these play-in games and round robin games that adds because it's a best of five. So you say they complete that in what a week and a half potentially, because you're going to want at least a day off in between like normal. And then you have your four more rounds, which they said the first two rounds could be best of five or best of seven. And that really will change things because you make two things best of seven instead of best of five that adds another two weeks to things right there. Each one would be a week. Uh, So I think that that's the potential that you go into September and you think when it normally would be baseball playoffs, (laughs) it's the Stanley cup playoffs. (laughs) Have, have uh, speaking as your teammate, how many off ice workouts have you been able to take part in? One, <laughs> two, <laughs> not not much, man. I've been yeah. I've been so busy doing day job work during the day, and then when it's the weekend, it's one of those things where I think went on a few walks here and there. Yeah, yeah and I'll be full honest. I know it should be better, but and not to get down and, and dreary, but it's like I've been motivated to. <laughs> <laughs> with everything yeah. going on, I've not been motivated to do much. So I try to keep myself busy doing things like cooking and catching up on TV shows, which I know we'll talk about Clone Wars here in a little bit and doing some movie marathons, introducing uh, my girlfriend's sister to Star Wars. Um, so and, and doing lots of cooking and things like that. So I, yeah, I know I should put more focus on it, but I just haven't. What about you? Um, no, no off-ice <laughs> workouts for me. Not but, really. But... But you've been working. You've been working a, a fruit truck. Yeah, um, I've been working. Let's see, what, what can I call it without actually calling what it is? The um, the apricot um, <coughs> apricot uh, SUV. Why not? Yeah. So I've been working at the apricot SUV. Physical labor, which yeah. if anything is good, because you've been sweating at least. Um, yeah, and it's a good time. I mean, I've been outside for this job. It's just like, you know, something I'm doing on the weekends, mostly just to get out of the house, make a couple extra bucks. But if anything, um, it's activity, and that's something Yeah, compared to what most people have been able to do. Yeah, and like I am outside, but wearing a mask for people's comfort, in addition to, you know, just because you are, tend to be close quarters with people exchanging, you know, right. credit cards and stuff like that. So um, it's getting hot but I've been in the shade luckily, but um, you know, it's an interesting perspective because it seems like people just, you know, like they want to do something essential, like get food, but they also just want um, interaction. Yeah. Interaction in a safe way and being outside at a distance, like it's, it's, it's feeding yourself, but it's also feeding your soul, which is good to see. Um, Yeah. I mean, and that's, one of the reasons sports are important in that matter 
Yeah. That it does feed your soul in a different way. That competitive human nature of having something to cheer for. Yeah. As well. And something to help release those endorphins, which Mm -hmm. is very important and healthy for you as well. It may stress you the F out, but it's still fun and fun. I mean, you can still have fun, but that's the kind of fun that people are missing right now. Overall, having competitive team sports, whether it's playing or watching, it's something that people are really missing. And there's only so many endorphins you can get from the internet. Especially with free subscriptions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Form out of premium. (laughs) Free for 30 days. (laughs) Uh, But but yeah, man. So I'm going to be very curious the next few weeks as things go on. And then, I mean, there's a question brought up too about media. Now, granted, I didn't tweet it out because it only applies to the media. But it still applies to access in terms of storytelling, which is always important with sports. People want storytelling and hearing these things. And so the question was asked, like, will media be allowed to go? How much media? It's like they still obviously want to keep everything distance. And the commissioner even said, I understand you need to do your jobs, too. I mean, you want to stay employed. You want to cover the sport and and tell the story and everything. We're still working that out because obviously you have broadcasts. They're going to create an international broadcast for things. And so it's going to be basically one feed instead of having multiple feeds like we're used to, where you have multiple feeds, you know, the home and away feeds a lot of times, which are different cameras a lot of times. Um, and international feeds will have one feed to work with and try to go from there because that's also the other thing. Who's going to be announcing all these games uh, and stuff like that? Because that's a lot of games they're going to have to bring in people to do. And, again, more, the more, more things you want, the more people that adds and the more people creates higher risk. And that's what they want to avoid, especially interaction with players. Uh, so I'm very curious how they're going to handle that. I'm sure each team's going to have their own thing. I'd assume the Predators to do kinds of things where they're like, okay, we're going to have a Zoom call, posting Zoom call or something yeah. like that. Because you think of a lot of the home media for the Predators, a lot of us are, say, local, and the outlets that we're a part of don't have the budget, <laughs> to, if, if they were allowed to, to send to the hub city and also yeah. don't have the the budget or the ability to be away from home for two-plus months potentially either so that's all those things that are going into question that we're just concerned and want to know yeah um one thing i heard somebody talking about was like doing some sort of raffle where for each game you could have one fan (laughs) just can you imagine The mic uh, drowned you out. It's like, no, we're not going to let this loud noise come through. Makes me think of whenever beer league teams when we're able to play at Bridgestone Arena. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're able to have your fans can come and sit in these sections. Like, you really only need one. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be three people there. <laughs> <sighs> but, yeah, I, I, it's curious. It's been a lot of, a lot of hockey going on for me. Here lately. Yeah, here out of nowhere, you've got all kinds of news to cover. Some yeah. very sad. Yeah. Um, rest in peace to University of Huntsville Hockey. It's a very sad day. I was able to make a few of those games with you. Um, a lot of good, dedicated fans down there. Um, and they're trying know. to save it. It's just it's one of those goals that I think the university set it to where they knew it was going to be difficult. Yeah, for sure. And it's also the thing where – you know, even if they're able to overcome the dollars that are required, 
they're still cutting up the conference and UAH is still left without a dancing partner. So even if the financials weren't a major concern, there's kind of a cutoff date anyway. Right. So it's, it just seems like an insurmountable obstacle. Yes, and especially only giving four day, four and a half, five days yeah. to reach a goal. They they Come knew on. if they didn't offer some some th- something to those fans, which is they would have. Yeah, they they gave them a, a, an impossible goal. Um, if there were the ability to grow hockey as a whole across the SEC, where you know, maybe Vanderbilt or UT or any of those other teams could get a D1 team, you know, then you're talking about something, but just the, just the financials don't line up. It's, it's just not possible. And, and that's the problem. Um, COVID-19 aside, we need more division one college hockey teams in the U S people say, well, it could be good because now it's going to be more competitive. No, the, the problem is we are losing. And when I say we, the U.S. is losing good American hockey players that could be playing college hockey to juniors, to Europe, to all these other instances, or they could be getting an education as well as playing. That they want to play college hockey, there just aren't enough spots. That's the problem. There aren't enough spots for a lot of these good kids to play college hockey, so we don't have enough teams. You think about the expansion, and yeah, Long Island University is adding, Huntsville taking away, so that's a wash in terms of adding Division One teams. You think of this and how the NHL has expanded and overall talent, I mean, it's pretty much, it's there. You know, you, you can't go in and add five or six more teams. You're going to have some dilution of talent. But in terms of college hockey, you need more opportunities for these places, to, for these players to play and to develop. And we're not seeing that. We're not seeing the expansion because remember USA Hockey, the number of, of, of registered players has grown ridic- in ridiculous amounts the past decade. Yeah. But they're and- not places to play. Just for yeah, exactly. From a developmental standpoint, U.S. Junior is behind. U.S. College is behind. Canadian Junior, even you know, like you get in those hotbeds, like in Boston, like there's a whole lot of talent that goes through that entire area and those various schools in that region, Ivy League. But anywhere else, there's not much. Like even in places like Chicago, like I know Northwestern doesn't have have a team right or, and illinois yeah. is supposed to be getting one uh, minnesota obviously has plenty because the smaller schools in the north yep. do well michigan has plenty uh, but the, the the problem that we that we see is that we just need more in arizona state it's been a great success story penn state's been a great success story but you think of all the money that it took for penn state to be successful it helped a lot with recruiting arizona state they're in arizona they're going to be okay recruiting uh, yeah <laughs> especially canadians to come in and play the southeast is very much underserved because what would help Huntsville out is if there were more teams, not necessarily even just the Southeast, but in the Midwest, mm-hmm. where you look at places like Illinois would be pretty acceptable. Bowling Green was in the conference in the WCHA, and that's the closest team to Huntsville was Bowling Green, Ohio. So you think of what it could do if a team like Alabama, Georgia, it, it, and all it would take was be, would be four or five to have programs and you have a conference. I think six, mm-hmm. you could do fine. And you could have a conference and be legitimate enough and schedule people enough too, because you're in an area in a vicinity to, to, to really build these programs, but they just don't have that. And that was what set everything going in the bad direction is these seven other schools saying, you know what? 
Peace out, Huntsville and two Alaska teams. We're going to go and do our own thing in front of the CCHA again. Huntsville basically said they applied to be a part of it, but they, they were not going to get in. They would be the WCHA again. They were doing yeah. this because they felt like they were on a different level from UAH. And Mike Corbett even said so. The head coach for UAH said, and my record speaks a lot of it. If we had a better record, maybe we could have pushed a little bit better and done this. So yeah. there's all those questions that come up. How much of that just is surrounded by, you know, when you're recruiting for a team, if you're the team where every opponent is going to be at like a six hour bus ride or more, you know, how well can you recruit in that scenario, which reflects on record. And if you've got a bad record, why are other teams in the area going to, you know, start their own hockey program? And it's just this tidal wave of various things that result in a situation like this. And, and we're not, it's not going to be the last sport gone from a lot of these schools. We've already seen bowling ring or the baseball team. Um, other, other colleges are going to be cutting programs as well because, they're going to be able to use this as an excuse because mm-hmm. if they're already kind of on the budget cutting table, they're going to be like, well, well, well virus. And yeah. it's just, it's a, it's a perfect storm of things because it's going to allow these colleges to be able to do this without a teams and their supporters putting up much of a fight because they just aren't going to be able to at mm-hmm. this point. That is sad because more what need more as the population grows, need more opportunities for these kids as the number of hockey players grow, need more opportunities for the kids and UH even cut their men's and women's tennis programs out um and the thing is the uah hockey program it was the only d1 program at the school because they're a d2 school in every other sport that's how big of a deal it was that they were playing ncaa division one hockey granted the record didn't show for it, but they're still doing that and this organization this team had two division two national championships to their name i mean they've won they don't, they don't have a zero history that college has won national championships in hockey just not in d1 and they've made appearances at d1 in the ncaa tournament as well so it's not like they were just always losers yeah <laughs> it's been a little rough because of everything that's been going on and, and recruiting <clears throat> and everything else so it's just it's very frustrating to see that happen but it's not the end of it because there's way too many good hockey players in the area and we're going to see college hockey continue to grow, just not doing it at the pace that I want it to grow. <laughs> yeah, it's a good parallel there between like what UAH had accomplished in the early years of the Predators, where it's not a detriment to the coach or the general manager or, you know, that school on the other side of things. You know, the situation they're in, they were making the best of what they could. But, you know, it's it's just not the environment that's – conducive to creating a perennial winner um, because of everything we've talked about. That's rough. Well, um, switch gears. Sure. So I told you, and I think maybe some people know, I haven't talked about it too much because I don't want to bore people online with it, but I knew that Clone Wars was going to end Yep. Uh, this year on Disney Plus. They're going to release the seventh and final season of Clone Wars. and so I They already to- did. Well, yeah. Okay, yes, they already did. I haven't watched it yet. So So I went and started from the very beginning by watching the Clone Wars movie. (laughs) And then... Which is so bad. It's awful. Yeah, so the reason it's so awful is that first movie is actually four episodes cut up into one movie. Right. And so I started, I went back, and this has only been a few weeks. I mean, I've been binging it as much as I possibly can. Sometimes watching, you know, seven or eight episodes in a, day, in a night um, after Alex goes to bed because <laughs> she's not going to watch Clone Wars with me. Um, and, and doing that. So I finally 
finished season six and I've watched the first two episodes now of season seven. So I'm not there yet. Obviously we all know what happens because it's in between movie, but can I, I've said this to you too, is that more and more, I do not want a Jedi council patch or a logo or anything like that because those assholes screwed <laughs> up so much. Yeah. Could have been for the galaxy, but because they were blind to it mm-hmm. and their egos wouldn't let them do shit for anybody that they completely fucked it all up. Yeah. You're, you're not wrong. <clears throat> it's, it's interesting watching this movie or this series because I feel like it makes the prequel movies better having watched these. It does because it does the development of the characters that we didn't get. Yes! <laughs> it's everything you didn't get. And Dave Filoni's a great storyteller too. Yeah, especially when Clone War or uh, Attack of the Clones was such a bad movie in my opinion. Like that's, that's one of the worst Star Wars movies ever made. Um, that's like the worst prequel for sure. But this writes the ship and then you go into uh, Revenge of the Sith and it just makes that movie so much better. It really does. And you get to know some of the clones and it makes you attach yourself to the clones. Yeah. As well, where you're like, they didn't ask for this. No. <laughs> and they're, they're beings and that's the fight that we see so much, especially later on, that they're living creatures, living beings. And also the, the connection filled to Ahsoka who is just completely dis- not a part of season six at all, except for one appearance with yep. Yoda in a vision. I'm like, the hell are you doing? <laughs> like they knew what they were doing. Obviously they wanted yeah. you to miss her and want her back and everything to wrap things up and tie it all together. But it just pisses me off more and more. The blindness of the Jedi council. This is going full nerd here. Nerd rage, like Mace Windu and even Yoda who, you know, I enjoy Yoda, but the ego and the blindness to the dark side from those two especially pissed me off to no end. I ended the season so pissed off when Ahsoka left season five. Yeah. So pissed off at a freaking animated TV series because of mm-hmm. what they did to her and expected her to come back. The hell? Yeah. No. <clears throat> well, it's, it's also this, there's a lot of themes that go into Clone Wars, one of them being that the clones are more than just clones, which mm-hmm. is something you see repeated on multiple episodes. The other is how the Jedi affects other parts of the galaxy, both positively and negatively. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's a big thing beginning to end in Clone Wars is, you know, just all the different ways where they're not seeing all the negative ways that they impact the galaxy because, you know, one of the founding things in the Jedi is, you know, take those bad thoughts and, you know, let go, put them out of your mind. Well, you talk to any therapist, that is not what you're supposed to do. (laughs) You don't just take those bad feelings and pack them down and like, just let those sink into your stomach and never resolve them. No, that's not what you do. And having Palpatine right under your nose, running everything. And, yeah. and we knew that was the case, but even shows, it shows even more because it is canon, obviously, yeah. of how much the war was just for the sake of the war so he could get his final thing of getting what he want with Anakin. I mean, it mm-hmm. all really kind of came down to the Sith. And the, the whole war was a completely unnecessary, except he just wanted it to happen and kept strewing it along. Because he wanted to. Yeah, he wanted to shift focus. He wanted to distract the Jedi. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that, that shows too the goodness of the evil that they built up within him of the dark side, because I don't think we got enough of that in the prequels either. Yeah. Just of him and his meddling. Um, mm-hmm. the meddling part is what makes him a good villain because he's doing it right under their nose. And that's what ticks me off so much is like, if you were searching your feelings correctly, Jedi, you would have been able to sense this very quickly and been able to sense what he was doing and maneuvering with Anakin as well the entire time. And I do like how they're continuously amping up, especially in uh, season five and six, um, amping up the anger within Anakin and how he treats prisoners when they're mm-hmm. on a chase with someone and the force choking. <laughs> they make him a much more complex character and a lot more likable in that series than he is in any other. Oh, yeah. Because he was overall a good teacher to Ahsoka. Yeah. With what he's trying to do and teach something different, which goes all the way back. And I know Dave Filoni touched on this. I've talked with Jack Woods about it as well. The whole thing with Qui-Gon. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to Duel of the Fates. And I love the way Dave Filoni tells this with Qui-Gon. That's why Qui-Gon wasn't on the Jedi Council because he knew there was something up. He could feel something was up. He didn't want to be clouded from the, the, by the dark side from the Jedi, with the Jedi Council in there. But what I love is the Duel of the Fates thing with Darth Maul, the fight with Darth Maul, is that they really are fighting for the fate of Anakin Skywalker because he does not have a role model in his life. And Obi-Wan was never a father figure. He was a brother. And that is very, very different for how somebody's raised to not have a father figure of sorts looking over you, but to just have a brother. Yeah, he learned a lot from Obi-Wan, but he didn't have that fatherly instinct like Qui-Gon could sense something as well. So they were dueling for the entire fate that sets up the entire Skywalker saga. (laughs) Star Wars there too with Qui-Gon. So it goes all the way back to him. And that's what I really do like about it. With Clone Wars, it ties so much of the stuff together more so to build Anakin and Yoda learning how to become a Force ghost as well in season six. All these little things that we kind of wanted. Clone Wars, an animated series, takes care of a lot of this for us. And yeah. also, it builds up that whole anger within me of like, you know what? Screw it. Great Jedi for the win. There's no completely right or completely wrong. Everyone has a little bit of gray Jedi in them. Yeah, and I think that's something that's shown as well as where Ahsoka's opinion and Anakin's opinion of the Jedi, they're not different, but the solution is different. Yes. Which is really interesting and compelling because, you know, that's kind of the fact of things in all things is we're not really that far away from each other when it comes down to polarizing opinions necessarily, mm-hmm. but the solutions are different. They are. They are. I've really enjoyed going back and rewatching the series again, leading up to this whole, leading up to order 66. Oh, and and I'm also diving into that about the, the, you know, the, the clone and the chip and the tumor that they find Mm -hmm. in the clone and that it almost, they they almost root. They were so close. Like you were just so close to discovering everything that was going on. And (laughs) yep. Keep watching. Yeah. uh, Yeah, exactly. So I'm really much looking forward to, to discovering how they kind of tie it in even more. Um, yeah. The season's so short overall. I mean, it's half the size of the season of normal ones. Yeah. Thick, so Those final four episodes are some of the best Star Wars experience I'm looking uh, of anything. Like, it's, it's just great. I'm really looking forward to it. So it's... All of it's the Darth great. Maul stuff in Clone Wars is really fun. It's intriguing. Yeah. It's really intriguing what they were able to do with him to bring him back. Um, it, it, it also is just interesting too, some of the dark magic stuff 
that, yeah. that we get that we're not really exposed to at all in the, the canon movies. We don't hear any of that. But you're like, it's a galaxy far, far away. Of course, there's some really freaking dark magic going on, I'm sure, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. People get really upset about stuff like in um, uh, The Rise of Skywalker. Like, when did they suddenly decide force healing was a thing? And, like, just watch one season of Clone Wars and all the weird shit they go through. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> Like, they're only upset about it because it made it into the movies. Right. It's like, it's canon. They decide you're talking about space wizards. They can do whatever they want to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I still can watch that movie and have fun, but, like, man, there's... Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to analyze it as much as I am, for instance, Clone Wars, because you can tell with Dave Filoni and George Lucas, because George Lucas played a, plays a huge role in Clone Wars. Yeah, I think it gave them an opportunity to dive deeper into a lot of the storylines they've always wanted to cover in Star Wars. And it's obvious it needed it for that yes. portion of the story. Absolutely. Um, people, like, I, I saw somebody on Twitter talking about, um, like, oh, I hope they redo the most recent trilogy. It's like, I hope they don't. I want to hear other stories. Yeah, and there's so many different ways that they do it right to expand beyond this. Now, granted, Rogue One was still connected to the Star yeah. Wars saga, but I loved it because it showed a completely different story, and we got to see a character that's in Rogue One in Clone Wars. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, they tie it together that way, and I'm good with tying things together. But the story focus needs to be on other characters and developing them, even if they're slightly connected, but still completely separate from the universe, and their story arc isn't connected to what's going on in the main saga. Yeah. Um, I listened to the audiobook of, um, I think it's just called Ahsoka. Mm -hmm. Um, that was really good. I, I'm interested to see what they do with that character in the Mandalorian because that's something that's talked about. I'd like to see a post order 66, um, movie with Ahsoka. Yeah. Um, you'll have to watch Rebels as well because obviously there's some stuff with her. Um, in that series, but her at the beginning of the rebellion would be really interesting. Um, yeah, there's there's a whole lot of directions they could go into, and like we don't really know what goes on with that character, but like we hear her voice when Ray is like, you know, all yep. all of us are within you, and you hear Ahsoka's voice at yep. one point, um, which so, leads you to believe she's dead at that point. But yeah, she has she's dead, and so how did she die? Yeah. How did she come back to the Jedi way? Yeah. Sorts. <clears throat> well, did she go away from the Jedi or did the Jedi go in a different direction? Boom. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the million dollar question. And that, that's not really a spoiler because that's something that's not really no, answered. Yeah. But, um, you know, Ahsoka oh, sees right. more of, no, this is what the Jedis should be doing. Yep per what Jedi say, what we're taught, but that's not the direction we go in. So I'm going to go in that direction. No, oh, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. That's yeah. So I'm glad with The Mandalorian too. And folks, if you have not watched that the, the Disney show, that's, uh, gosh, what's it called again? Um, <laughs> Behind the curtain. Disney, Disney Gallery. Disney Gallery, yes. Disney Gallery with The Mandalorian. You're getting so much perspective from the director's. Yeah, it, and it is fantastic and mesmerizing. You're getting that real inside look. If you enjoy those types of things behind the scenes, but getting real nerd talk in the development of this, you'll love it absolutely. Yeah, 
even just hearing from the directors like what moments in the series are important to them like hearing uh what tt talk about um you know yoda brings the um x-wing out of the bog when luke couldn't do it he's just this tiny little creature and luke says wow i can't believe it that is why you fail yeah yeah chills (laughs) chills yeah (laughs) sassy yoda was something we needed back really really bad and that's something we did get in the last jedi a lot of people annihilate that movie but there was no sassy yoda in um in the prequels and that's something we had a lot of in empire strikes back which makes oh, yeah. that character really good the fact that yoda's gonna sit there and he's gonna talk crap you know yeah, yeah. and it doesn't matter yeah. who he's gonna talk crap to you yeah <laughs> so well i'm glad we actually had some hockey and star wars to talk about yep so yeah more more to come i'm sure as more news will break shortly when we get more things figured out so yeah we'll once we graduate away from the plan for the plan and more into like, here's the plan of how we implement the plan because the plan is official now. So here's our plan to proceed with the plan. When she goes from suck to blow. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Justin. Well, thank you. All right, Cameron. Thank you. Bye. Bye.